the Production Expert podcast with James Ivey, Alan Salabag, and Dan Cooper. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Production Expert podcast number 355. It's the 4th of February, 2019. I'm James Ivey. I'm Dan Cooper. And I'm Alan Salabank. And I have very little voice left after a certain event in America, but enough about that for now. Uh, Alan, deals. Well, we have some great deals from our partners on our deals page, so go and check out the link in the podcast notes. Excellent. Let's move across to some talking points, and uh, these are sponsored by our friends over at Universal Audio. Good morning, children. This is Fab DuPont. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast talking points are brought to you with the support of Universal Audio. Looking to get a big analog console sound from your in-the-box mix? From now through to the end of March 2019, purchase any UAD2 DSP accelerator and get the world's most authentic Neve, API, SSL and UA console emulation plugins with a value of up to $1,196 absolutely free. For more information, check the link in the podcast notes down there. Right, James, I've got some questions to ask you about your recent holiday. (laughs) (laughs) That has got to be... I mean, I've been defending my trip to um, the um, the Sunshine State. Well, that's Florida, I know, but um, California. Um, with my wife for about the last, oh, five or six years now. And she, I'm pretty sure she thinks it's a jolly in the sun for a week. Um, the fact that we don't actually see much sunshine, because we're obviously inside the trade halls. But um, yeah, my recent holiday to California. Uh, ask away, <laughs> boys. Ask away. Did you get an anthrax? Um, not until a couple of days later when I got home and then I gave it to the kids as well, which was re- made me oh, really popular. Um, fun for all the family. Yeah. Namthrax is the generic term for anyone who um, catches bubonic plague while... Um, <laughs> Going around um, the show floor. Around the tra- it, trade show floor. Yes, and it's it's so well known, Namthrax. Last year when I went, um, I'd put my hand out to meet someone and they'd look at me and go, hope you don't mind, I just don't want to catch Namthrax. And you think, well, I mean, I'm infected already. You just want to say hello. Uh, and these were some, you know, big wigs at some big brands. And I thought, well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'll make sure I touch your neck on the way out. Most um, of it normally comes from the flight on the way home because everyone's yes. so utterly shattered and most of the people on the you're on the flight with on the way home have all been to the show. So yeah, it, it it's a it's a documented <laughs> phenomenon, should we say. Yeah. But um no, I haven't been too bad. I've had a couple of days of feet of, you know, man flu. I've been close to death, but I've been all right really. But well I didn't but, go I didn't go this year um because my son turned eighteen uh, over the NAM period. And I've I've missed all his other birthdays. Um because of NAM. Uh, but this year I couldn't you know I wouldn't miss that for the world. So I didn't go this year. I plan to go next year with you, James, again. Uh, but I want to know what caught your eye. I mean, we did talk about NAM stuff last week with uh, Mike and Russ, but us three were really just, you know, just looking through the portal of the internet at what was going on there. But you were there. You were there with Julian and Eli. Um, tell us how it went and tell us what caught your eye. You okay. know, some, some of the stuff we didn't feature in Pro Tools Expert because there must have been some, some cool bits uh, that we didn't feature. Tell us. It sounds an incredible cliche to say the first thing that I love about Nam is the people, but the first thing I love about Nam is the people and all the unless kind of, they give you Namthrax, unless they give you Namthrax. But hey, you don't really know who's doing it. To be fair, um, there were some amazing kind of moments of 
should we call them walk-up tutorials, walk-up demonstrations, where someone would be on a booth and they would be demoing something, just, you know, because they they wanted to show someone how something worked. Um, a beautiful moment happened on the Empirical Labs booth where I was uh, chatting with Dave Durr from Empirical Labs and Vance Powell happened to be there and he was showing how he uses the um, Empirical Labs authorised UAD plugins on, on a drum mix. Just two plugins to make a drum kit go, hello! Um, and I wouldn't be able to do that two days ago because I wouldn't have had a voice <laughs> that high. Um, and it was just an, a masterclass in how to use plugins and how, obviously, he's so used to using the hardware to do this same trick. But it was just to, to stand there and watch and go, wow, I, I can actually hear that. I can hear the difference it's making, even in a trade show environment. And for any of you who haven't been to a trade show, it's not the quietest of places. Um, even in the new mm. the new halls, which are kind of have been built I don't think they were built specially for NAM, but I'd like to think they were because that's where they put all the most of the high tech stuff and most of the sort of um, um, music industry recording high techy type stuff. And it's a bit quieter in there than it is in, say, the guitar or drum hall. But um, those are the sort of moments that make it for me when you know when someone's just um, not even intentionally demoing something, but showing how something works. A little crowd gathers, and you just go, "Yeah, that's what it's about." Those kind of Ooh, moments, the tutorials that weren't supposed to happen. There mm. are, I mean, you know, there are the bigger booths that have um, stages and demonstrations and training and all that sort of stuff on, and they're great. But these moments where a genuine industry legend is showing some of their, some of their smarts, for lack of a better phrase, um, and it was an absolute pleasure to just to be able to chat to fans and go, so so what's that doing? How is that doing that? You know, X, Y, Z type stuff. And him just be able to explain it to, in words of one syllable that even I could understand. Nice. Nice. Um, Gear-wise, there's a lot of cool stuff out there, obviously. Um, we were able to highlight some of the more... I'd like to think I looked for some of the more off-the-beaten-track type things. Um the, the little, I know it sounds ridiculous, but that little um, adapter converter for USB-C that the guys at um, OWC have made just to go on drives, to stop drives shaking their mm. way out on a stage, is just a moment of genius. A $7.99 yeah. moment of genius, in my opinion. Um, yes, with my guitar hat on, I did wander around the guitar halls, and there's a lot of... Um, recording focused guitar tech out there obviously um we showed the the new oh, audience sono which looks very cool yeah, One of those the new IK, yeah ik multimedia uh, i've got a new guitar focused uh, audio interface yeah well. that, that looks, looks very cool. cool um and there's a lot of amp manufacturers now who are who are doing the whole two notes thing you know taking some of that amazing um modeling technology which we seem to be using that phrase quite a lot at the moment and there's certainly a lot of that floating around but um but um sort of proper valve amp manufacturers in incorporating um two notes modeling cabinet and microphone and stuff technology into their goodies so yeah some really cool stuff some good um blending of technology you know old and new so valve valve amps and new model technology really really cool the one thing I will say the one takeaway I had from the show this year is that there's a very cool vibe in the industry it feel it's it feels like a really good time to be doing what we're doing. Obviously, it is a trade show, and there's money changing hands, and there's people doing deals. Um, but 
from our, those at the, those of us at the coal face of the recording industries, it does feel like a really cool time to be doing what we're doing. And the the atmosphere was really good. Um, I don't think there was any particular standout products or standout launches or anything like that. Um, there's been a few things that have caused some controversy or controversy, depending on where you're from. Um, but, you know, nothing that's going to... I don't think there's anything that's going to start a war over or start a fire over. So I'll tell you what, last year when I went, I left feeling a little bit disappointed. It felt like a lot of the big brands didn't have enough of the wow factor to announce. Right. I'll give you an example. And I'm not, you know, being horrible here, but I remember, I think it was last year. The only thing like, let's say Aston microphones could shout about was a pop shield. And I thought, ah, really? <laughs> You know, is that it? Um, and a couple of in, it's in that kind of vein, you know, like, oh, look, we've got a new coffee machine sort of thing. <laughs> Aston, um, of course, had their new mic, the Stealth. But, um, yeah, they've got their new, but, their new mic. That does look very interesting. But I was just using Aston as an example. There were loads more last year. I just thought, you know, I've come all this way <laughs> and there's nothing wow about this I show. still think this the- year, though, this year, I'm gutted I didn't go because it looked like there were some amazing things on show. Um yeah, the new IK Multimedia iLoud stuff with the DSP for speaker, uh, speaker calibrations, uh, that sounds... In well, a tiny, great. tiny pair of monitors, we're now getting yeah, speaker calibration. We're getting this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I love the look of the new Slate Raven. I, I think that's very cool. The price of it is very yes, expensive. $3,000. Yes. Whoa. And it's um, huge. I mean, it is it is vast. 42-inch screen underneath your fingertips is massive. If it was on your wall as a TV, it probably wouldn't be... It wouldn't feel that big, but when it's, I can only imagine if it's underneath you, it would feel like a nice big console. Tiny little, mm. tiny thin razor bezel around the outside. Yeah. Um, it's the uh, it's the same touch spec as the the bigger as the bigger Raven was. You know, the ten thousand pound one. So it's it's yeah. ten point touch. Mm. Um, now, next time you tell me you have any more, you need any more touch points than that, I'll, I will give you a biology lesson. Um, it's it's very I'm not very cool. Say anything. Nice. Yeah, please don't. Um, <laughs> People will find other ways to touch it. <laughs> oh, Stop. Just wrong. Stop. Just I have wrong. been known to use my feet as well. Oh, <laughs> you're you're an absolute pro, Alan. <laughs> I want to see a tutorial on that. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I was very drunk at the time. <laughs> I've heard of mixing by ear, but never mixing by ah. feet. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of the cool stuff was under the radar. I mean, obviously, um, in this age of the interwebs, um, which you know everyone out there may have heard of, there isn't now that big once or twice yearly announcement period where it used to be you announced mm. at NAM or you announced at Music Messer. Music Messer is not the show that it once was and I don't think I'm upsetting anyone offending or offending anyone by saying that. Um, it's your but, opinion, you're entitled to it. Absolutely, but it was rubbish the year I went and apparently it's not getting any better. Brutal. Um, <laughs> well, if you're going to go hard or go home. Um, that means your words, mate. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but NAM is still a force to be reckoned with as far as a show's concerned. I, I think there's two very good reasons for that. One is that people do still hold back their big announcements for NAM. Or, um, or just before. Or just Nam. before it. Um, to give, you know, that, that sort of teaser run up into it. Yeah. Um, 
and the other reason it will always do well is because us Europeans like the idea of 25 degrees in January. Um, and genuinely, the weird thing was, I saw people at Nam who I live less than 50 miles from <laughs> that I hadn't, the, the, the last time I saw them was at Nam the year before. You know, people in, in our industry, people I used to work with and see an awful lot, I hadn't seen the guy in a year. And I saw him in California. That's what Nam's good for. Those those walk up moments. Those kind of the bump ins. Um, had some lovely moments with um, a lot of the usual suspects. Um, it was great to see Dave Pensado there. Um, he was on fine form. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just great. It's a, it's a very friendly show. That's the one thing I will say. Whereas he's just you know people just hanging out um got to chat to jack joseph puig on the waves booth um you know these you these guys, lucky lucky these man. guys who we I was could, julian was julian with you when you met he was jjp yeah. oh he my was. god mm. did, did he go off about jellyfish he he did gush a little <laughs> oh god um <laughs> I normally go on about the black crows because some, some of that stuff is just brilliantly mixed. Oh, no, jellyfish is much better. Um, anyway. Um, what would you have um, liked to have snuck into your luggage? Oh, my God. One piece, one <laughs> thing. You can only take one thing. Doesn't matter how big or small it is, that you would have walked out of that hole and gone, that's mine. Uh, oh, that's, oh, blimey, that's a really hard one. Um, I didn't make it in into any of the... Um, the way it works, for those of you who haven't been to Nam, um, a lot of the bigger brands, the more famous guitar brands, Fender, Gibson, um, the more famous drum brands, DW, um, Tama, brands like that. Tama don't actually, they have a, a booth in the middle, but have their own room, the kind of mini, mini hall all to themselves. And I didn't get much of a chance to go around any of those rooms. And I heard there were some absolutely epic um, relict Fenders and Gibsons and... Uh, you know the the David the David Gilmore Black Strat relic is on my shopping list, but it's oh, no no hold on. Do you guys know? Just gonna sort of digress here quickly. Um, do you know that Dave Gilmore's flogging all his guitars? I did. Yes, I he did is, see yeah, that. I saw yes. that. that is Shall fantastic. we all remortgage our houses and just go for the Black Strat? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't club even, together, boys. I don't even play guitar, but I want the Takamini from Wish You Were Here. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> oh, I'd have his number one Strat. Yes, the one that, that is, I think is that one. Yes, the legendary strat. Um I, do you know what? I don't I really don't know what it would be. Um there was there was a couple of booths that had some really really beautiful acoustic guitars. In fact, no, I know what it would be. It um on the Sunday because the Hall E, which is the downstairs the downstairs hall, which is often the kind of um it's cheaper to demonstrate down there and to have space down there. So you get a lot of the smaller brands who um, maybe can't afford to be upstairs go down there. And a lot of the the Chinese distributors and the Chinese, I, I don't want to say knockoff manufacturers go down there, but a lot of the Chinese brands are down there. Um, Julian and I did have a little wander down there to see if there's anything interesting, anything, you know, sort of new brands, new cool stuff. And there was a carbon fibre acoustic guitar wow. that was... I, I want to say well in excess of $18,000. So that's why they couldn't afford to advertise in the upstairs hall because <laughs> yeah. they spent it all on the guitar. <laughs> uh, oh, they had several of them. They're, right. they're, they're a manufacturer. And this thing was beautiful. And I think that would be it. That would be the piece that I'd like to get home. Because 
um, a, a lot of the tech stuff we've already seen. To be fair, um, there was some uh, there's some vintage mics and some vintage hardware, and um, but obviously it's a trade show for new gear. It's mostly new stuff, um, and you. It, the cool thing about new stuff is generally it's not stupidly unaffordable. There are there are a few pieces that you just go, <gasps> you know, and sell a kidney for, but a lot of the stuff is very affordable the wonderful thing about technology is it's it's always getting cheaper so yeah i think that would be my if, if i could have snuck it into my case without breaking it that would have been it so speaking about i'll continue on the theme of um affordable what was previously unattainable there were two things that really caught my eye from nam and the reporting from that uh the first one was the universal audio uh neve dfc channel strip plugin um, but for a common reason, which we'll get to in a minute, also the MOOC DSP APB 16, the, um, the, uh, how, how do we describe it again? It's, it's a uh, hardware analog processor controlled digitally, I believe. I, yeah, I, I think, yeah. I think that's the correct phrase. That sounds right. A six, yeah. The yeah, 16 yeah. channel, hard, digitally controlled analog hardware unit. I mean, now, so I, I've got a long history with the, the DFC. I mean, I had one of the first ones uh, in the world, certainly one of the first ones in the country. And um, the, the the channel strip on that was and remains absolutely mind-blowing. And the best thing about it was it was the ultimate does what it says on the tin processor. And it initially received a lot of criticism among mixers used to analog boards in that they didn't think it was working particularly effectively. But when you actually looked at the display and looked at what you were asking of it, it was doing exactly what you told it to. Nothing more, nothing less. And the dynamics and EQ on that channel strip were phenomenal. I was, I was able to not have to use outboard noise reduction uh, because you could do multiband dynamics and zero reaction time, zero release, and surgically apply the EQ as well, which was just fantastic. So I mean, I'm really keen to, um, to to get my hands on and have a play with that at some point soon. But the um, the reason why it especially piqued my interest was that it's apparently not an emulation; it's a recode. Yes, it's been, apparently um, it's been ported over. Yeah, um, I don't so, know the the tech behind that, and that could be the wrong term. But it's copy a, paste, I think. <laughs> Possibly not. <laughs> well, there's, there, there are numerous technical reasons why that wouldn't be. But the um, but the thing it has in common with the DSP is that it's not an emulation; it's a recreation. So, basically, DSP are have issued the the digital emulation of analog outboard gear and just built analog outboard gear that works like the digital equivalent, which is fantastic. But um, I, it, it interests me and it makes me wonder whether um, the industry is starting to tire of emulation and is um, wanting more innovation rather than, you know, is that sort of a, a fair comment now yes. about where we're heading with now? As well as the industry, I, I would say true. so. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you, the number of brands who we, we've been saying for, or we've been posturing for some time that DSP is dead. 
And yet every time we say that, someone else comes up with a DSP platform. Um, okay, so this DSP, the uh, APB, which is nothing to do with All Points Bulletin, apparently, um, mm. 16, is a digitally controlled analog piece of hardware. And it looks fantastic. It, the one they had in the, in the, the cabinet was mm. obviously, hopefully the real thing, not just a mock-up, because that green... Kermit, Kermit the Frog Kermit green. Kermit the Frog green yeah, bezel excellent. was awesome. I mean, beautifully milled out front. It look, It's going to look mm. really cool in your rack. Um, but it, it is, you know, it's the real deal. It's, it's proper analog circuitry with 100% recall. I think this is what um, Alan was just sort of saying. Um, are we now looking for the best of both worlds in the innovation of things? So emulations been there done that it's been going on for 15 plus years or serious seriously for the last 10 years at least where it's sounding pretty damn good but where else can it go well nowhere really i think it's all been done so how about this where you take inspiration from uh sort of emulations and the gear that it was modeled on and think forward think of the new hybrid i say new hybrid hybrid studio that term's been used for years but I think more and more people are going that way. Uh, I know I certainly am. James, you are. Um, it's that thing between the digital world and the analog world, the gear that excites us. Uh, my Teglers, this DSP thing. You know yeah. what I mean? It's that. It's that kind of thing where you go, "Wicked!" I still got digital stuff. I got recall like that. That's brilliant. It takes the pain out of it. And uh, unlike I've got the a, sound, and unlike you know? a lot of, um, should we say, the new products, the McDSP APB 16 is not an answer looking for a question. This is a, absolutely as, yeah. is genuinely a there's a need, there's a want for us to be able to use proper, well designed, well built analog sounding hardware, but with all the benefits of digital recall. And let's, I think put, this, yeah, let's put it this way: all of us on this team want to play with that thing <laughs> yeah we? we all want Absolutely. to have a week or so with it each or if not longer and we're probably all going to buy one um that's rare that's uh, rare because usually we all have an argument about things like this so. yeah. yeah and the dfc channel strip i mean it shares the same thing you were saying about it's not a, a, a an answer looking for a question things like the dfc channel strip and this mic dsp they pose they pose the question they say what do you want to do yeah and that's brilliant and um, that's absolutely fantastic, in my opinion. And uh, what would be really interesting to, to see, or maybe even hear at some point, um, given that the uh, McDSP SA20 uh, plugin is modelled on an original unique hardware unit made by Mike Minkler, I think, um, it'd be fantastic to hear whether they can make that into the code that goes on to the APB16. You see, you're basically recreating an analog board from the digital emulation. Mm. That would be quite an interesting it's a uh, real experiment to play. It's a real round-robin engineering thing, isn't it? You've, you've come yeah. full circle. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that was what's really exciting. And I think that that's possibly part of the, um, uh, the, the vibe, I think, you were picking up with this show because... Um, I remember the show, the big trade shows of the 90s. That's when the, the technological development was so fast. It was so exciting. And, and still, people had large format consoles as well. So your trade shows were quite often the first time you get to see you know, an SSL 5K 
in the flesh or a Sony Oxford in the flesh. So it was those that's the sort of excitement that you were were likely to see. And I think with these sort of products, I think it, it helps um, continue the life of trade shows. I think that's that really helps it uh, develop. I think, you know, nobody wants a trade show you go home bored from. It's, you know, well, that's, that's the great thing. Uh, yeah, trade show just full of computers and you're looking at plugins that you could download and demo yourself in the comfort of your own home. I know what you mean. Absolutely, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's, it's real tangible hardware that you put your hands on and go, yeah, I, I came here and I experienced something cool. James, roughly, do, do you know what the price is of uh, going to be for that McDSP um, box? The top Kermit of box. my head, I don't um it i don't think it's going to be a, a it's not going to be a bargain basement unit never in a million years um uh, dsp don't do that um it's going to be beautifully made it's going to be beautifully finished and it and it will work colin's stuff uh, is not puts quotes up in, in the air buggy it is not that's that's they've never done that they i have no belief they'll start now they will take their time and they will nail this until it's absolutely bomb-proof, which is what we love them for. I don't think it's going to be cheap, though. I think Define Cheap, maybe... Uh, this is purely guesswork. This is uh, with no kind of inside track knowledge. I'm going to go within two to $3,000, which for 16 channels of, of analogue processing would be an absolute steal. I could be a country... Now, now saying 16 channels, I could be a country mile out, and I think I probably am having the benefit of hindsight and the fact that I've said those words and put them out there and now kind of sound silly. Hi, this is Julian. I'm not on this podcast, but I'm going to briefly interrupt the guys to tell you about a competition that UJAM are running this month on the site where you can win the UJAM full bundle, which is a bundle of all of their instruments. That's 13 instruments, drummers, bassists, guitar plugins, beat makers, full list price of over $1,200. So enter and you might win. Also, I didn't gush at Jack Joseph Puig at all. Anyway, back to the guys. James, talking point two. Yes. Um, I think one of the biggest announcements made at NAMM um, caused a stir, once again, raising those <laughs> quote marks. So we put this article together, the proposed Pro Tools 2019 track tax reveals the fault line running through the Pro Tools product offering. This one Definitely started a fire, in a, a, a fire of of um, community messaging. I think was an understatement. So um, I yeah, have a very interesting. I've got an interesting one on. I've got an interesting point on this. Um, so come, well, for, to, first, come to me last. I think. First, let's recap. Best person in this room to talk about this, I think, is Alan. Because Alan, uh, I think it's safe to say you work on much much larger sessions than me and James put together. Um, True, that's possibly the case. Yeah, I, I mean, think, I think this, so. The, well, yeah, I've been I've been hitting the two five six track limit um, for HDX one or Native Ultimate um, quite a lot recently because I've been mixing in five point one with a full decent width um, drama track lay. Uh, and also with 5.1 music split into eight stems. So as soon as you bring in one layer of music, you, you've burnt 48 voices. So, wow. um, yeah, it's, 
and so then you know 96 if you checkerboard the the music cues so yeah it's it gets um fairly busy in the um audio path sphere of in, in post nowadays definitely um you know when i think about what we used to do it on it's just there's no comparison um and you need that to maintain uh, flexibility in the final mix, the ability to update well, to be able to accommodate recuts and such like that. So in some of the uh, larger budget shows, they are um, prepared uh, what I would call feature film style, where they actually checkerboard. They have two sets of every set of tracks, so they checkerboard each scene completely. So say your track lay for one scene takes 200 tracks, you then have another 200 tracks which the next scene comes in on as a checkerboard so that you can instantly see if there's a recut and you do a reconform that you can easily mend any gaps, any... I now know what you mean by checkerboard. Yeah, so checkerboarding is basically if you have a piece of audio on track A, then the incoming piece of audio comes in on a second track, track B. Um, so that's uh, that's the way it's traditionally worked before we had the ability to crossfade on the same track. So um, the th- that just generates huge track counts. On Fortitude Season One, there was well over four hundred tracks in the in the in the in the in the mix session. Um, so yeah, uh, anything Avid can deliver, especially pretty much it's free of charge to everyone who's got that technology in the first place anyway. So they've given us another 128 tracks uh, on top of that. Um, To me, that's not even scratching the surface of the potential of the power of native because, I mean, if you think about the scan power DAW PC I I reviewed, um, we sort of roughly worked out that it had the native post-processing equivalent of five HDX cards, um, and that was just in a not even a top spec host computer. Um, knowing, you know, not getting even close to what the i9s and such can do now. So I, I think, yeah, the, the there's there's a whole host of reasons why I don't agree with it being called a track tax, which we'll, we, I think we can come to a bit later when we've sort of heard what James has got to say, because. I think he will bring an interesting angle to this before I uh, then start talking about um, uh, about why I think maybe some people are being a tad unfair. Okay, um, my opinion. Uh, Alan, remind me, because I, I just can't remember the top of my head. Um, the extra voices in Pro Tools HDX, I'm an HDX user, you know that. Um, does it matter what sample rate I'm working at? Or what? what's that for? I'm not entirely sure of uh, the existing, specifications yeah, of it because it, it says hasn't 250, been released yet. Yeah, because it says 256, so I'm assuming that's at 441. Well, 48, yeah, definitely. Or 48, at, at the, yeah, the, the, thereabouts. At the one-time scale of uh, mm. of sample rate. Um, I honestly don't know what happens to the, uh, the track capacity. I mean, Voices voice reduce as sample rate goes up. Yeah. So um, it's, 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 we've only just got that bit of information. I'm just putting it out there. I don't know if I've read it somewhere. I've forgotten. It's late on a Monday night and my brain stopped working. Um, I'm not that infused um, from my point of view of what I, what I use Pro Tools for. Um, 
I think I've only ever mixed three or four songs that had over 250 tracks or even close to that. I remember feeling very grateful for my HTX card at the time, but it's not the sort of work I do. At the very most, my, my average track count or channel count in Pro Tools when I'm working on a big production song is anything between 48 and 60. Um, and that, that has never increased. You know, and even a track with uh, a song with 48 tracks in, in my books, is already starting to over egg the pudding a little bit. You know, it's uh, from a musical point of view, I struggle to fit more ideas in my music. I find it just doesn't work. Um, that's my experience. So this doesn't add value to me. Um, and I've, I've got a feeling it's not going to add a lot of value to a lot of music people out there. But I think a lot of these guys that are making a lot of noise about this. Uh, are the same as me, where we've never even got close to doing 250 tracks in a Pro Tools session. Um, so why get all hot under the colour about it? You know, because uh, there's, there's a lot of commenting on this on this post. I can't even pick one out. I'm going through it now to try and illustrate the tone. Um, James, your thoughts whilst I'm going through this. Okay, so so do we all remember back in the day when... When, when computers talk with a northern accent and everything was a tad slow. Um, computers were beige. Yes, when computers were beige. Yes. Um, the reason that Avid, or as then was DigiDesign, said, we limit track count to make sure that no matter what approved system you're running... I was a guarantee. It was a guarantee. This yeah. is the track count you mm. will get. That yeah. was that was one of the things about Pro Tools. Pro Tools didn't fall over. It didn't crash because you were working within known tolerances, and that's that was the thing that was brilliant about Pro Tools. You got what you paid they for. Yeah. Under promising and over delivering. Absolutely. Now the truth of the matter is that there is now processing out there at significantly low amounts of money by by comparison to you know new bus TDM systems and um, what was the old eight. HD mix and mix XL cards and all that sort of stuff, and even new souped-up HDX systems, native processing has come an awfully long way. And the truth of the matter is that Avid can't guarantee it. That's the one thing that they've lost control over. By allowing anyone to anyone's audio interfaces to work alongside Pro Tools, which, let's face it, they had to do, that that mm. decision came a long time ago now, and looking back at it, it's balmy that you could only use an Avid M Audio or DigiDesign interface alongside Pro Tools. It was absolutely bonkers that that was that was the rules, but them's were the rules. Um, that the the control element has gone. You can now use anybody's interfaces as long as the drivers are supported alongside Pro Tools. Hooray! Great. The control has gone. Therefore, that's why they've put these track limitations in place. Yes, I agree. It is clearly a software switch somewhere. Someone wants. Well, someone called it. I believe a, a marketing department um, driven. Um, function rather than a technically driven function. I think that was actually in the article. But I, I still think that they're trying to keep a certain amount of control. And by by giving us more tracks, and I, I, like you, Dan, I, I come close to the track limit. Oh, once or never. I think mm. the most tracks I've ever had on a session was at 96k and I had 100 and 
hundred and something tracks. And I was, uh, that was on my old HD TDM system, my HD two system. And it was absolutely bouncing off the limiters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Since I've had my HDX card, I've never even come close. Yes, it would be very nice to be able to do lots more. And I think this is where actually you and I would use the higher voice count or can use the higher voice count. Now we can start routing to places separately and differently and routing um, different reverb sends and things to places if you do need to do offline bounces. And one of the things I do do when I'm doing track tracks for people, I'm backing tracks, multi-part backing tracks, it is nice to be able to do all those bounces out in one go with a mm. bit of smart kind of routing and making sure the right things go to the right places. It is a lot neater than it used to be. Um, I, I, I think the fact that we're getting it is, is fine. I think the fact they're giving us this quote unquote for free, you know, everyone's paying for this at the end of the day, but, um, the, the, the squeaky gate gets, makes the most noise, gets the most oil. Um, I, I really don't think that the, most of the people who are complaining hit that 256 voice limit that often. If they do, I'm sorry, I apologise, but I bet most people don't. I think there's, um, I think there's, uh, there's, there's, there's something possibly else going in, in, in play at the moment as well, which is the fact that HDX is, is pensionable age now. I personally feel that seven years by pushing by pushing um, uh, it up to three hundred and eighty something tracks on HD on one HDX card, I get the feeling that there that that's now its total upper limit. We're not going to get another one hundred twenty eight track expansion out of HDX. Meanwhile, native processing power and third party DSP marches onwards so the problem is is if they made if they sort of just took the way the track limit on hd on native which a lot of systems out there could quite comfortably do and they do on other daw software as well quite happily um it would then take away the incentive to buy oh, hdx hdx would be dead in an instant, yeah. it'll be the, the second hand so, value will be gone, and no one will buy them, and that's it. There would yeah, still so, be a reason for buying HDX, which no, is uh, multi channel IO. Multi channel IO. Yeah, but people latency. just buy native instead. I think you know, it's. Well, I, that's I, the I thing. Get that's that. the one. That's the one. Lockhabit still do have. They haven't expanded the um, amount of channels of physical IO you can have on native. So there is still that stopping point. Which means that you know, if you want to be able to output or acquire, or um, even say run an Atmos mix with a separate render renderer as a hardware renderer, uh, which requires 128 channels back and forth over MADI, um, even though there are third-party cards out there that can do the MADI in and out of your host system, you still can't physically get that in and out of a non-avid hardware Protal system. So they still do have that lock on there. And I think the day they expand that will be the day we will expect an HDX replacement or a radically different system architecture from Avid. Um, because I think the, you know, the, the, there's no getting around it. Technology gets old. Technology gets outdated. You get to the limits of the technology. 
and then you have to move on. And it's not going to be an easy move for anybody. I'm, I'm sure of that. But, you know, it's something I think we're going to have to face up to soon. It happens in all industries. I mean, let's go back to a few previous um, Pro Tools uh, new releases, uh, versions, if you will. Um, we've always sort of said um, that there are more music-focused um, releases of Pro Tools and more post-focused. I reckon this is for the post crowd, but the people making the most amount of noise about it are the music music people. You know what I mean? Um that's my feeling on it. it. It really doesn't resonate with me, this, at all. It's like, okay, cool, you've done this with it. Um, I'm with Alan on this. It does feel like it's like the final push or the final card they, they were holding back to do with the TD, um, sorry, the uh, HDX system. And that's it. I think, you know, it's not going to expand anymore. Um, yeah. Cause, I mean, we be- went from 192 voices with a TDM3 to two five six with a HTX one, one, didn't we? Yeah, that that yeah. was their selling point. You go, so you that get was more the latest hardware card. increment. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, cool. Should we should we bury this one for now and move on? It is time for some community feedback, and this is sponsored by our friends at RSPE Audio. The Pro Tools Expert Community Feedback is brought to you with the kind support of RSPE Audio Solutions. Great people and great prices. Our friends at RSPE have the best deals ever on Avid Hardware. However, the prices are so low, we can't share them with you here. To find out how good these prices are on Avid Hardware, you will need to call RSPE to get all the lowdown on these prices. Use the special link in the podcast notes to get in touch with them. Okay, just the one this evening, chaps. Um, I'm going to fire this one over to Dan in a second because I think he's our local, uh, local hub spurt, if you will. Um, I'm not sure where that came from. I thought it was funny, then I thought maybe not. Who knows? I, thought, I, I was worried you were going to say something like CLA expert. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Um, Brian Dunn says, after reading your post and watching the video on the Waves CLA Mix Hub, uh, this community member asks, what about automation? Dan, what about it? Brian, you and God knows how many other people have been asking about automation with this plugin. So for those that don't know, and I'm sure that's only a fair few because this plugin has got quite a lot of traffic. Um, A lot of people shouting about it. Oh, yeah, just like (laughs) CLA himself. It's the best plugin ever. Anyway, it's a very, very good plugin. I think it's the best plugin Waves has released in years. Uh, sounds really good. Great workflow. You can view, you know, um, buckets of eight. Uh, so eight channels at a time within one, one plugin. It's that inter-plugin communication thing we've been talking about recently on the blog. Very, very good. Um, but yes, the automation thing. I don't get the point of doing automation within the plugin on this. And I think, Brian, you're referring to uh, volume fader automation. Why make life difficult for yourself by doing that in the plugin when you're kind of using the Pro Tools mixer as just a playback machine? So you can do your faders uh, automation, volume automation in Pro Tools. Keep it simple as you would normally do in Pro Tools and just keep the uh, faders at the level you'd like to keep them in the CLA Mix Hub. Keep it simple. That's my opinion. Um, yeah, you haven't got panning in CLA Mix Hub. You haven't got mutes. You haven't got solo. Lots of people are complaining about that. Again, what's the problem? You have it in Pro Tools. <laughs> yeah, and it and it is definitely that is something that you don't, is I'm sorry. Contro- it's controlled by Avid. It's it's controlled by the Avid. No, um, no, 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 no. Architecture no. for for plugins. It is only yeah. a plugin. Remember, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm, I'm sure that, you know, the, uh, the solo and the mute on the SSL board doesn't have a specific um, sort of characteristic to it. It just solos something and mutes something. But the, the plus side of not having solos and mutes within that plugin forces you to mix in the context of all your tracks. Now, that is a good thing. That's a good thing to get into. Um, people are complaining about not having solos and mutes. I suspect are people that rely too much on mixing things in isolation. There I said it. Don't send your head at hate mail. That's my opinion. Because um, that, that's the thing I liked about it. It forced me to not use uh, solos and mutes, you know? Um, I've just bought yeah. it. I saw it at the show and thought, this is very cool. Um, there was a deal on, or there perhaps still is a deal on. Uh, oh, there's always a way to steal. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know what? It's worth a cheeky punt. Um, so yeah, I, I bought it. It's awesome. You'll like it. I like it. I'm looking forward to I've got a track I'm working on um, the next couple of days that I shall be having a go at mixing on it. I want to see a picture of you using the CLA mix-up in front of your analogue console desk <laughs> that you're not using. That's just wrong. <laughs> I, I tell you what, though, it does strike me as a sort of variant on VCA automation. So because yeah. it has to go over every in, the insert of every track that it's on that you want to control with it, it is basically another VCA on top of whatever you've already got in the Pro Tools thing. So solo and mute will work, surely. Yeah, it's just the same. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll go with it on my C24, you know, it's just like reach out, solo the snare drum, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I suppose that's what people are complaining about, is that you can't <laughs> do it within the plugin. But someone like me, I don't see the problem because I can reach out on my control surface and do that because it's there. I don't have to close the window down or move it out of the way. Anyway, it's not... Um, it's not uh, a deal breaker, in my opinion, not having automation or all that stuff. Just try the plugin, have a go with it, and let us know what you think. Cool. So um, let's put that one to bed and move on to some questions from the community. Pro Tools experts' questions from the community are proudly supported by Vanguard Audio Labs microphones. I'm voiceover professional Bill Rogers, and this was recorded with the Vanguard V13. Okay, so, and I hope I get this right the first time. We'll, we will see, judging by the amount of laughter that comes from everybody else. So, Juan Ignacio Weissman. I'd go says, with that. Well done. Hi, I'm Jay. <laughs> I can't see why it shortens it. <laughs> you you oh, probably hilarious. haven't heard the agonizing we just all had about how to pronounce this. So anyway, hi Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Must read the scripts before we go on air, boys. <laughs> I used to have an Apollo 8 into Studio One version 4. I recently bought a Series 3 Studio Live. Can you detail me how to use it with the Apollo? I don't want to lose the Unison plugins uh, or the FAT channel. Is there a way to use the Apollo as an interface and retain the FAT channel on board? Do I have to use the Studio Live as an interface and use the Apollo Unison via input in the Studio Live? If you have this configuration, what do you suggest? I'm always into the podcast. If you can please post the answer there. Thanks, Jay. Uh, right. Um, so to another Jay, Jivey. Yes, indeed. Um, I think... Jay, you're absolutely right. The best way to do this would be to use the Studio Live. You don't tell us the size of the Studio Live mixer you have. There is a 16, a 24, and a 32. Um, I, If you want to maintain the rather gorgeous four Unison Pre's, I would just 
use it as a, an external mic pre and route directly from the mic pre input straight to a set of line outputs and then just run into four channels of your Studio Live 3 mixer. There's no neat way to use them alongside each other. The Studio Live has, um, it can basically act as a audio interface over, I think it's over USB 3, don't quote me on that. Um, very nice piece of kit though. Say so You then get all the lovely fat channel, you get all the lovely control. You'll still need to have your Apollo connected to your uh, Mac Mini because obviously you need to be able to control what's going on in the console, in the Apollo console, as far as plugins that you're going to be using in the Unison slots. So you'll still need to have it connected. It's not just a dummy unit, um, but it now won't be the interface you have selected in Pro Tools. It's a bit like the way I'm using one of my Apollo 16s. Did you, did you hear that? One of my Apollo 16s as eight stereo effects processors for the console. I'm actually, I'm actually using DSP-driven mm. effects in place of hardware inserts on the console. Um, that, I think, is the only way to do it. I, I, I don't think, other than Unison, you're not gaining anything by doing it any other way, by trying to b- balance them up, because you're going to hit, I think, all the Studio Live series give you up to 32 channels of simultaneous I.O., so you're not gaining anything by attaching another another hardware device and doing some kind of crazy Pro Tools aggregate device thing. Just don't go near that. It's just not worth the headache. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that helps. David Bryan's been in touch. Hi there. I use Pro Tools 12 on an instrument track. There is a MIDI volume indicator usually set at 96. And in the I.O. section in the track view, you have your overall output audio volume controlled by a fader usually set at 0 dB. Can you please tell me what the difference is? The reason uh, I ask is because when I use Abbey Road's 60s drummer, that's the native instruments one, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, some of the notes I hit on my M Audio key station 88 are lower and higher in volume, even if I hit each key at the same volume. So for instance, I hit a snare on C1, its volume could be 90. I hit a cymbal with the same uh, hardness on D sharp two, etc. Its volume might be 62. There is a huge variation in velocity. So when I perform a drum part, my snare cymbals, hats, kicks, etc. are all going to be in widely different volumes. So my way around this is, uh, is to go into Pro Tools after I've recorded a part, go to change velocity, set all notes to 100, for, uh, for instance, and then randomize from there. That does sound like a bit of a long way around. So I understand that velocity is how hard the note is struck. You are correct there. But when I've done all uh, as outlined, I switched my uh, mix window, control plus equals on my track fader. Even during the loudest parts of the performance, the volume doesn't come up. Uh, that high, minus 20 to minus 15 dB. And I found myself pushing the fader higher from 0 dB to uh, plus 3 to 4 dB in an attempt to make the drums louder. This led me on to look at the MIDI volume indicator on the drum instrument track set to 96. So I pushed that up to 127, the loudest, and the audio volume on the track fader was a lot higher, even clipping in parts. So I lowered the track fader back to 0 dB, etc. And it was no longer clipping anymore. So I just really want to know what is the best practice. Should MIDI volume uh, indicator stay at 96? Should I push it higher? What is a good overall level uh, that this should be reading at. I would really appreciate it if you could clarify this for me. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Now, 
Eric, our community manager, has actually answered this in great detail. Alan. Yes. So, uh, yeah, he obviously knows uh, an awful lot more about MIDI than I do um, and never have, um, which is great. And he says, um, yeah, you are correct in your observation that MIDI volume and MIDI velocity are two separate things. The implementation of MIDI volume is somewhat inconsistent. The initial design goal of it was that it was to provide an easy way to mix the relative levels of voices within a multi-timbral MIDI instrument slash patch. Pro Tools defaults to the value of 96, and I'm not sure where it came from, but it's a good starting point. And while you want to use the audio track volume for your audio mix, it is okay to adjust the MIDI volume on individual tracks and parts. Think of it like an input trim for the multi-timbral parts. Um, It's not a perfect analogy, but it generally works well. And I would add to that, actually, um, when you're tracking... Um, minus 15 is perfectly loud enough. It is these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, especially if you're uh, running at 24-bit. Um, yeah, that's that's way loud enough. Uh, don't fall into the trap of thinking that it, if it's not redlining, you're not recording it <laughs> properly. I think when you say oh, I'm hitting it at the same level, what these software instruments, or many of them, are designed to replicate is how they be played by an actual drummer an actual drumist Mm. um the snare drum is always going to be landed louder the drum itself is is generically louder than all the other elements of the kit um it's the nearest drum to you it it, biological mechanics or uh, ergonomics and anthropometrics if you will Arc at me. Um, it's going to words be, for a drumist. Yeah, not bad. Eh? It's it's the loudest drum in the kit. It, it, it just it, the mechanics of the human body mean it's going to be the loudest. Symbols um, by their very na- nature are always yeah, sometimes always a little bit quieter. Obviously, we've got this whole kind of new wave thing of, of riding on a crash symbol, which I absolutely detest. But hey. Um, I don't think you can just. I don't think your your argument for I hit them at the same level, but they're different, stands up. If I'm totally honest, um, but Eric, there's round robins in those um, VIs as absolutely. well. So if you play the same uh, velocity note on the same kit piece, so say the snare, do that three times in a row. Listen very closely. You're going to get three different hits. You're going to get three. Very subtly sounding different hits, yeah, because it's just loading different samples yeah. each time. Otherwise, it's going to sound too robotic. Even, it'll sound like a machine. Even with my limited knowledge of the, the the VIs as well, you can actually even control that amount of variation, can't you? On some of them, yes, yes. that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think Eric's um, ex- Eric's uh, advice is bang on the money. Uh, I, but I think when you said, "Is there any best practice?" the answer is um, that the audio fader. What I, what I tend to call them drivers and instrument and instrument tracks. Or what I do is I'll have a MIDI track that drives an instrument track. So if if I'm using yeah. something like Contact and I want to have six or seven different instruments in my one instance of Contact, I will drive. I'll have six or seven different MIDI channels driving those different instruments in one Contact player. And then I'll use my the master volume. Will just be basically making sure I'm not hitting any other plugins in the chain too hard, or that I'm not just overcooking the output. Um, but I will use the MIDI volume sliders of those MIDI channels to to make sure I'm not going into those different virtual instruments inside Contact Player too hard. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I only yeah. ever turn things down with MIDI. 
because I find it's just too easy to clip VIs. They're all too hot, in my opinion. Um, there are some really hot VIs, you know, especially drums, and they are redlining internally. And if you're turning mm. up a MIDI channel on uh, in your Pro Tools mixer, you are just pushing that into the red sometimes. So I always find turning, like just like James, so like the instrument track that has a contact instance in it and maybe six to ten VIs, that's kind of like a master track now do you know what i mean it's his own tiny little mini daw in that plugin and you're using midi uh tracks to yeah drive or control the volume but only ever pull things down um to balance that way cool okay let's move along the pro tools expert podcast is created using source connect now from source elements Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you'll know how hit and miss the order quality and connection can be. Even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN-equivalent audio quality using a Chrome browser. No software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. Okay, it's time for Find of the Week. Not currently sponsored by anyone. <laughs> One day Julian will pitch shift your voice really high on that. It'll be lots of fun. Yes. Right, uh, Find of the Week. Alan. Well, yes. Um, so, skipping back to analog technology, um, I was looking for a solution for uh, connecting up my turntable again and uh, connecting it into my studio system and uh because the main reason being i daren't have a turntable at home with a very very fluffy mobile cat so <laughs> so that that would be a recipe for disaster so i i now started to reset up my vinyl setup in in the studio and that there is a there's a lovely quality to vinyl you know Although I might be Mr. Digital half the time, I think I'm getting your Namfrax, James. Is that possible over the internet? <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. But anyway, so uh, I've been looking for a way to uh, connect my turntable, which has a an unbalanced output, or which needs the rear curve applying to it. Um, in some way, getting it... Uh, into a balanced format to get to the other end of the studio. So in order to not pick up any RFI from my host PC, my monitors, my UPS, my Ethernet, my Wi-Fi, which uh, turntables can really easily do, uh, if any of those things are nearby, I've had to put it at the opposite end of the studio to everything else. So um, I was looking for a decent quality uh, XLR balanced output phono app. And uh, the usual suspects from the uh, the most expensive supplier in the world, as you call them, James, um, <laughs> were around 300, 400 pounds. And I was thinking, my God, okay, fair enough. I'm not a radio station. I'm not playing. I'm not a, a record restorer. This is more of a hobby thing. Uh, and I eventually came across this thing called the iConnectivity Spin XLR preamp. And what it is, it's a phantom-powered phono preamp with the rear EQ built into it. And so basically you plug it into your mic amp, switch the phantom power on, and it powers it by balancing, by sends, sends the phantom power down the 15-meter uh, cables that I've got, in fact. Um, and uh, yeah, powers it by completely by remote. So you can have your turntable as far away as you like from uh, your equipment, 
Uh, so you don't pick up all that horrible RFI and add to all the hum and everything. And and it really does actually sound really good. And the best thing about it was it was around 60 quid. Bonus. So, um, yeah, absolute bonus. And I, I have to say, I mean, it's probably just, you know, Emperor's New Clothes and all that. But uh, it does sound bloody good and very clean and no trace of hum, which is fantastic. Nice. Uh, Dan, I do feel like we're doing a bit of a, bit of a, a brand swap almost this week. Um, tell us about your find of the week. Yes, uh, I've been in the market for a set of pencil mics and it, there are so many to choose from. Bloody hell. I mean, I knew there was a fair few out there, but not until you sit down and know that you've spent a few hours looking at these things and it all starts to sort of get a bit confusing so i thought sod this i'm not gonna you know i was eyeing up a you know a popular set by a certain brand for about 700 quid the same as Anna. i sort of thought yeah hold on a minute there's got to be a better way of doing this i just thought of you to be honest uh, and an article that you did not that long ago where you did a shootout and i had a look at that and thought okay really much of a muchness if i'm honest um, with these sort of things. Don't, you don't, know don't, how... don't go for a pair of um, ageing C1000s, though, whatever you do. <laughs> or the Samson CO2s. Um, <laughs> no, but what I mean is that it's much of a muchness. You know, it's, it's how, how are they going to sound on your drum kit, in your room, whatevs. You know, you just got to buy, you've got to commit to a set and buy them. Um, and I just went for brands that I know that you trust, uh, and that's Sontronics. So I've got a <laughs> set of STC1s, and they're lovely. I'm really pleased. Uh, spent the whole weekend recording drums with them, and... Yeah, they can take some, take some punishment, all right. And they're super clean and super wide sounding. Um, not talking sort of stereo width, just uh, depth, space, depth yeah. and space. Really nice. And, you know, there was a few times I set them up and, you know, did it rush job, you know, by eye. And you think, yeah, I really should take my time. Did a couple of test records and thought, wow, they're actually quite forgiving. Um, so did you, you know get what? the standard? capsule or the Omni oh, yeah, or just standard for the minute um, I will experiment more with their extra little capsules over over time as you fancy um, I've got the extras as well as oh, you we probably go. To play with them. <laughs> yeah just just they, they look interesting yeah that that was a selling point as well is that you can change those those capsules over as well so yeah very pleased uh, 300 quid lovely nice little wooden box oh, so you get a great um, stereo bar really robust stereo bar uh, which is little things like that just you know, sweeten the deal, and yeah, I'm pleased with them. And uh, yeah, I've got a few drum videos coming up over the next month or two. Um, so if you want to hear what these sound like, do tune in to those. James, what's your find of the week? Um, I have been playing with the rather lovely RME ADI2 Pro FS. This is a two-channel um, A to D, D to A preamp, little half U rack box because I've been wanting to get the very best signal I can out of the con or from the console back into Pro Tools. Um, and you can do that analogously if you want to, but I'm thinking um, it's, you know, I've got lovely AES inputs onto the Apollo X16s or whichever interface I'm using at the time. So this game came across my bows. I got hold, got my grubby mitts on one and it's a fantastic little thing. Really, really cool. Very easy to set up. Sounds absolutely stonking. Um, it's one of those things. It's that last in my in my meter of pro audio excellence where 
so one millimeter along the meter rule is uh, is our Tascam four track back in 1983, and the hundred centimeters or the one meter mark is Abbey Road Capital, wherever you know. It's that last trying to get that last centimeter towards perfection, you know, t- towards audio greatness. Um, and I, I think this thing's getting me that, that little bit closer. It's, it's a really cool box, not overly expensive for a, a high quality ADDA. Um, review to follow, great little piece of kit. And actually, the, one of the, my favorite things on the front is it's got a, um, a proper bar analyzer on it. So you can actually see what's Spe- going spectrum on. Spectrum analyzer, isn't yeah, it? Spectrum yeah, spectrum analyzer in, in the frequency domain. So, um, yeah, review to follow, very cool piece of kit. Nice one, RME. I've always loved their, their well, their complete, their, the, the analog side of RME and, in fact, the digital side of it. The digital side is rock solid, always is. Um, and the analog side of it is always sounded fantastic it's really punched above its budget weight as such every time it's fan- really really good great so on those moments of elation it's time for us to end it's good night from me it's good night from me and it's good night from me good night good night